1: And good morning and welcome to uh, the Wednesday edition. the hump day edition of The Real Investment Show. As we get ready to slide into Christmas, hard to believe it's here, right? I mean, uh, Thursday, uh, Friday's Christmas Eve, Saturday's Christmas. If you haven't done your shopping yet, well, too late. (laughs) So, (laughs) it's all over. So, it's all good now. Uh, Anyway, a couple of things yesterday. Of course, I was going to wear my Santa Claus outfit this morning because yesterday we did have maybe, possibly, the start of the Santa Claus rally. You know, after three days of selling pressure, and we talked about this a little bit yesterday, is that markets had gotten really very depressed on a short-term basis. And a lot of this looked, as we've been talking about, it really looked a lot like mutual fund rebalancing and, and rotation within portfolios, et cetera, over the last few days, a lot of tax loss selling. Uh, particularly in areas that have been, you know, kind of big winners or big losers this year, kind of really saw those two trends reversing. AT&T is a good example has been a stock under a tremendous amount of pressure over the last year. Verizon, some of these communication stocks, have been under a lot of pressure this year, really underperforming the overall index. We saw those see a lot of rally over the last couple of days, and and that's maybe because, and, and that really looks like you know, these funds that own those stocks, they need to have those weighted within their portfolio if they're running an S&P type fund, etc. But over the last year, because of that selling pressure, those had really become underweight positions in portfolios. And other stocks like Apple, Google, Microsoft that have had big runs over the last year, they were overweighted in portfolios. So as a portfolio manager uh, of running a mutual fund or a pension fund, etc., if I have to rebalance those things, then I need to do some tax loss harvesting. In other words, sell some losers to to, uh, take some losses or, you know, doing and just doing that work in the portfolio. Well, I have to sell off some of my big winners to reduce those. I need to buy those losers and laggers to bring them up to weight and then also sell some of those other stocks that haven't been performing well at all. So again, we saw a lot of that action over the last couple of days. And not surprisingly, yesterday, now we're starting to get those last few days of the year. Typically, it's the last five days of the year, which will be the week after Christmas, and the first five days of January tend to be statistically strong periods for the stock market because of this rebalancing process that's going on. So yesterday we saw this nice rally in the yesterday. The good news about the rally yesterday is that it did get above both the 50 and the 20-day moving average. So we had talked about yesterday uh, morning that there was a good bit of resistance overhead. The market needed to get through that if it was going to try to go back up to all-time highs. And we did challenge that and get through both of those moving averages yesterday. So clearing that resistance yesterday was an important first step for the traditional Santa Claus rally now today we'll need some follow through that this morning right now futures are up a little bit this morning dows up about 65 points so not a really strong open this morning but again it was a big move yesterday now, if I had to give you some negative points about yesterday's action, the breadth was very weak. The number of stocks trading above their 50 and 200-day moving averages remains extremely weak here. Volume was not terrific. I, we didn't have a huge amount of volume push yesterday. And, you know, while we did get a little bit oversold on a short-term basis we're starting to see a little bit of recovery in that oversold condition so again you know there's not a lot of commitment to the rally and again it's it's really a a a rally based around the lack of liquidity it's just there's there's not a lot of buyers or sellers in the markets this week most people have already taken off or they have checked out (laughs) you know one way or the other for the holidays um so again you're not really seeing a lot of push here but again You know, this is is that kind of year in rally. And again, it's important, as we talked about over the last couple of days. Look, when you have this type of volatility and we and right now, if you take a look at the markets just over the last few weeks, we had a big rally coming out of November. We had that big sell off early December. We had a big rally back to all time highs the next week. Then you had this big sell off over the last three days. And now you got the rally yesterday. That kind of volatility makes it very hard on investors and it makes it really tough to actually manage a portfolio. So, you know, this is where mistakes get made. And sometimes you just kind of knuckle down and kind of just work through the process, let the market do what it's gonna do, and then just wait for the market to tell you whether or not it needs to ha- have a further correction or if it's ready for the next advance. And so sometimes it's very frustrating, particularly when markets aren't going anywhere, they're just moving up and down a lot. And historically, from a statistical basis, we've had more volatility this December than we actually have had uh, really in in previous Decembers going back, you know, two decades. So it's been a very volatile month. And, you know, again, something that we had talked about in in very late November, we said, hey, be aware the first two weeks of December, we see a lot of mutual fund rebalancing, could see some sloppy trading action. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's exactly (laughs) what we've had over the last couple of weeks. I think right now, and again, we're just always guessing at future markets. I think we've got a lot of that behind us. It doesn't necessarily mean we're not going to have some sloppy action between now and the end of the year, and particularly into the first part of January. There's certainly a lot of things weighing on the markets as we head into 2022, right? You've got the, we've, we've talked about the Fed tightening rates. We've talked about the Fed, you know, reducing their balance sheet support. Um, you've also got these inflationary pressures that are weigh, weighing on consumer spending, supply chain disruptions. Now, a lot of that stuff's going to start to clear up as we get into next year. But there's a lot of other headwinds that are coming at us as well. And, and one of the things that I think we really need to focus on as we start moving into next year is, is a lot of this liquidity flows that we've had coming in from all over the world, right? We've just had massive amounts of liquidity being put into global funds. And we've had just a massive surge of, of liquidity being put into equity funds all over the world. Over a trillion dollars last year, just a massive flood of capital. Unlikely that we're going to be able to continue that process. It's just a function there's a limit to how much capital is out there and the other side of this is corporate buybacks corporate buybacks have just been uh you know running records this year in particular as companies buy back their own shares to help improve their bottom line earnings per share that's something that may be more challenging next year particularly if interest rates come up particularly if we see weaker economic environments where companies need to hoard more of their cash in order to deal with higher labor costs or to deal with weaker sales growth because of a weaker economy, we may see a slowdown in some of those stock buybacks. And stock buybacks have been a major support of asset prices over the last decade. So again, a reversal of that could certainly lead to further weakness. Now, I'm not saying the markets next year are going to be a bear market. I'm not saying that at all. All I'm saying is there's a risk that a lot of this liquidity that we've had coming in from both fiscal and monetary sources are going to start to reverse next year. We know the failure of the BBB plan to pass. That pulls some of that liquidity push out of the markets as well. Now, they're going to try to get something done maybe in January. We'll see what that looks like and if they're able to get it past Joe Manchin. But again, even if they do that, the BBB plan doesn't put a lot of cash into the pockets of individuals immediately. It's something that's spread out over time. And as the other liquidity pushes that, that we did previously fade out of the system, there's less liquidity there to support growth going forward. That's going to potentially shrink profit margins, et cetera. So again, as, as you know, just as we start to focus on 2022 and as we get to the end of this year, it's important just to think about the changes, the underlying dynamics of the market, and the economy and how that's going to impact prices, particularly when you have a market as overvalued as we have currently, you know, right now trailing uh, 10 year earnings are running at at roughly about uh, 40 times earnings at this point. So a very, very overvalued market. So more headwinds going forward than we had tailwinds over the last two years. So as you get into 2022, it may be time to rethink a bit about how you position portfolios. We've got a couple articles coming out on this over the next few days as we go through the end of the year. And, uh, but but again, just something to think about. We'll keep you up to date on it and in all of our writings. Make sure you get our daily commentary. We'll be touching on that uh, more and more over the next few days as we get ready to wrap up the year. Just simply go by the website realinvestmentadvice.com sign up for our daily commentary. We'll be right back after the break.
0: Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Don't let
2: 2022 be a repeat of the past year. Join Danny Ratliff and Richard Rosso for their essential smart money tips for the new year Candid Coffee event on Saturday, January 15th. You'll learn the landmines to avoid, tax advantages we see, and money tips you need to know in the new year. Register now for our next Candid Coffee at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. realinvestmentadvice.com.
0: The Real Investment Show.
1: And good morning. Welcome to the show at 617 uh, as we get ready to wrap up the year. Hardly hard to believe that already 2021 is coming to a conclusion hopefully 2022 will be
3: more exciting (laughs) have you seen that that new meme i guess going around says 2022 (laughs) (laughs) right right right. (laughs) oh no wait a second i know well
1: you know again we've got the resurgence now of a of a new virus and you know everybody's starting to talk about locking down can we just uh, do we just need to get to the point where if we just treat it like the flu and just kind of move on with life and be done with things um, you know, I've been waiting for this for a long time. Brent and I, a few years ago, right when Tesla started really coming around, you know, we started talking a lot about the efficiency of batteries and, you know, you know, how, you know, what the real carbon footprint of these cars are, et cetera. We talked about that. One of the things that we talked about back then was, you know, it's all fine and dandy until you have to replace your batteries. And then what do you do with them? Well, not only what you do with them, but the cost. Yeah. Of replacing the batteries and this is a question we ask it's like you know and, and back then the battery pack was priced right around seventy-five hundred dollars at that time right so this is several years ago and so been waiting for there to be an article or something about people now having to replace their battery packs and the cost of doing that well uh in finland an unhappy tesla owner has found out the problem yeah <laughs> so Kaitlyn said that the fix to cost uh, to uh, the cost to fix his Tesla would be right around twenty thousand chrono, which is about twenty-two thousand five hundred dollars. Uh, the fix was to replace the entire battery pack in his Tesla, which was a 2013 Model S. So just to show you, it's it's been a while. I mean, it's it's it seems like Tesla is kind of a new thing, but they've been around a while. Yep. Right, we're coming up on a decade now. So he was one of the first buyers of the Tesla. Anyway, so they found out that it's going to cost him $22,500 to replace the battery pack in his Tesla. And that's not covered by, you know, your warranty. Yeah. <laughs> You're not getting insurance for that. Yeah, that's coming out of your pocket. So he came up with an innovative solution. He teamed up with a, a YouTube group in um, Finland, and they loaded the Tesla full of dynamite and blew it up. <laughs> All right. So, and there's a video of it.
3: So, if you want to watch the video of him blowing up his his Tesla.
1: So, I'm assuming he's hoping
3: that there's enough people that watch this or view this that he makes enough to buy a new one. I I guess so. Right. But, you know, so just be warned if you have a Tesla that
1: uh, when it comes time to change the battery pack, it ain't cheap. Which also brings up into question, what happens when people start trading in Teslas, right, to get a new one, and then mm-hmm. somebody buys the used Tesla? See, and I haven't really seen much of that story yet, but how many people buy a used Tesla for X dollars and then find out two years later they've got to replace the battery pack for, you know, $20,000? Well, there's a lot you, of Teslas online. Have yeah. you
2: seen the story that some of the new Teslas are being produced with new 2017 <laughs> batteries? <laughs> yeah, well, you know. They how just, does that work?
1: I know, right? Well, they just... You know, they haven't been used.
2: I guess. <laughs> well, there's a disclaimer that says your battery may have up to 12 percent reduced performance because it was originated in 2017. I'd like a 12 percent uh,
3: discount, please. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> well, it's kind of you know, it's, it's like with any battery, right? Yeah. It stores less energy over time, and the more times that you recharge it and and dis- and dis- and discharge it, you know, it it stays saves up less and less each time, right? And it's just like your phone battery eventually is like used to get 12 hours out of your phone
3: battery. Now you turn it on and it says, charge me.
1: Yeah. So. <laughs>
3: well, that's pretty amazing. Think about what they're actually valuing their batteries at. Yeah. I mean, if you're buying that vehicle, that battery is worth 20 grand. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So there you go. anyway, I just thought it was an interesting story because I've been waiting for that to, to see. I've always been curious about that is, you know, one of the innovations I think we'll see down the road somewhere is where you'll in somewhere and they'll swap out your battery Correct. pack yeah. for you, right? And so there'll be this service that you can subscribe to. But it's just, you know, again, there's there's a finite life to these things. And so I've, I've been waiting to find somebody who had to replace one.
3: Well, <laughs> so. and that's an interesting thing, that concept, you know, talking about kind of a gas station for like a battery station. Yeah. Um, my father has a Tesla and right. he's got the Model 3, the most scaled down version. He's like, I just wanted one. And this was, this was several years ago. And he drove out to East Texas for something and he mapped his way out. Okay, I'm going to need this. Well, lo and behold, you get there and you can't, you can't charge. The charging station's broken. (laughs) So luckily, you know, the network. Oh, that sucks. (laughs) Yeah. Well, well, they do have a network because these things do happen. Right. So he calls some random guy like, Hey man, can I come to your house and charge the battery? (laughs) So he's like, man, it's pretty neat. I really screwed my day up, but, uh, was able to meet an interesting guy, uh, made a friend and, uh, on his way
1: yeah but you know but that is an interesting thing right so you know he had to go find some place to charge Mm -hmm. and then spent however long it was to charge the car so we got to know this new friend very well by that time yeah versus pulling into a gas station pumping in you know 20 gallons of gas and being on your way in five minutes right Right. you know that's going to be one of the the more interesting challenges and that's something you know with the build back better plan right they wanted to try to spend 500 billion building these charging stations all across the country it still doesn't solve the time problem
3: that's right right
1: and that's why you know eventually i can you know almost envision gas stations where you just pull in and they just swap your battery pack and you just you know and then the next guy gets your battery pack once it's charged up and kind of go along the way so you know i, I don't know what the, i don't know what the future is going to look like right uh, on that but it, it is it, it, there are some interesting challenges yeah as you move forward it, it has
3: to look different it yeah. can't be what it is today yeah yeah so anyway uh Sorry,
1: digress that really wasn't the point. The point was about blowing up a car because of the batteries so <laughs> I thought that part was interesting. Um, well, it's just like blowing things up. yeah I, I do I do actually anything involving explosives, I like that. Um, you know so <laughs> and uh, by the way, if you're interested, you know Babylon B, which is a if you're not familiar with the Babylon B, they're a satirical website they're fake news you can trust right that's that's their slogan um Elon Musk just did an interview on Babylon B. really yeah so it's actually online if you want to go watch it but basically he's kind of slamming uh <laughs> what he calls Liz Warren <laughs> and the woke culture talking about you know uh, you know Elizabeth Warren's been after Elon Musk mm-hmm. and so he went on Babylon B. and he said because I can't say these things on CNN I want to be here and so he kind of turned loose on Elizabeth Warren. It's actually pretty funny.
2: They need to put those two in a fight cage.
1: <laughs> a UFC match between <laughs> between Cherokee Liz and yes. Elon Musk, right? <laughs> oh, man.
3: Talk about explosives. <laughs> exactly. He's gaining a lot of fans, though. I mean, He is. What no, he's doing. He,
1: he has done some, you know, he, he came out yesterday. And uh, I don't know if you saw this yesterday. You know, one of the things that we talked about here on the show about Elon Musk was, we're getting way off topic this morning, by the way. Just bear with us. We'll get back on task. <laughs> But just recently we talked about on the show that he's actually very smart um, in exposing the hypocrisy of taxing rich people. And, you know, that, you know, he went out when when they were doing this whole push in the administration that we all need to tax the wealthy more, etc. He's like he went on to Twitter and he said, hey. Can I? Would you all mind if I sell some of my shares because I need to pay my taxes? Now, he doesn't really need to sell shares to pay taxes. As we explained before, people like Elon Musk that have the vast majority of their wealth in corporate stock that they can't sell, they go to banks and the banks loan them all the money they need against their corporate equity. So that's why Elon Musk can, can have, you know, planes and trains and automobiles, but he doesn't actually have to sell any stock because banks loan him the money to do that because of what's going on with his his company stock. And, of course, that company stock has been spiraling in appreciation, so the banks aren't worried about it. They'll loan him all the money he wants. But when all this, you know, attack went on to wealthy people, and they were targeting Elon Musk. Elon Musk doesn't pay any taxes. He's like, went on to Twitter and said, hey, can I sell some of my shares? He got approval from the masses to sell his shares, which was great. They were like, yeah, sure, sell some, pay your taxes. So he did. He sold about 10% of his shares. The stock's now down about 20% from the peak. But you know he sold about, and, and and smart for him, the stock has been just on a on a tear and is hugely overvalued. So even he has got some re you know reasonable expectations of what his company can produce in the future. And he's like, man, this is about as highly priced as this stock is ever going to get. I'm selling it and taking some. So he just announced yesterday he's going to have to pay about 11 billion in taxes on those sales. Now. He doesn't care, right? He just made a tremendous amount of free money from his corporate stock. Sure, he'll pay $11 billion in taxes, but this is the point. The point he's making is that corporate executives and rich people do pay their fair share. The top 10% of income earners pay about 80% of all the taxes. So this whole idea that the rich don't pay their fair share... Elon Musk just exposed that, and of course, that was you know Elizabeth Warren going after him, particularly on that issue, yep. and that's part of this interview of his attack back on her is saying, you know, th- th- this whole woke culture is spreading a lot of misinformation because they're telling you things that simply aren't
3: true. And well, so that's right. Think about now, start to go back and think about the jobs that are created, the yeah, all the things that have come from this. I mean, it's, how, many, how, it's many, how
1: many employees that work for Tesla that own stock are now multi millionaires? True, right? So, you know, this and this is the whole part about capitalism that you know, if you watch a lot of the social media channels, there's now tons of pe- tons of young youth out there, you know, talking about how capitalism sucks and socialism's better. And you know, they're all doing this on their iPhone, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and using social media platforms that then you know those type of things but you know the point is is that capitalism was what creates those jobs and in a lot of cases creates the jobs that these people complaining about capitalism have So just something to think about the irony the irony of it all this is uh, this goes back this this goes all the way back to you know when uh, you remember back in uh, probably 2008 early 2009 they had Occupy Wall Street mm-hmm And all the kids were out there protesting the ninety, you know, the protesting the one percent, and they were all out there trashing the place and and doing all their
3: commentary on their iPhones and apples while they're,
1: (laughs) you know, while they're trashing Tim Cook and all the corporate executives. Right? We we need a
3: documentary. Where are they now? Exactly. They're working. They are working for those companies now. That's right.
1: (laughs) Mom and Dad said, "Get out." Exactly. Go occupy someplace else. (laughs) all right quick break well all right so we messed around enough coming back from the break uh the ceo of zappos just passed away um interesting uh sad story but an interesting you know kind of dialogue around what not to do when you actually build wealth inside of a corporation be right back after the break
0: The Real Investment Advice Blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. Don't let
2: 2022 be a repeat of the past year. Join Danny Ratliff and Richard Rosso for their Essential Smart Money Tips for the New Year Candid Coffee event on Saturday, January 15th. You'll learn the landmines to avoid, tax advantages we see, and money tips you need to know in the new year register now for our next Candid Coffee at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show.
1: welcome back to the show this morning i'm your host lance roberts danny ratliff joining me okay i know I, I know it's hump day we need to talk about some serious stuff markets are kind of looking to open up a little bit this morning after yesterday's rally um bitcoin actually trying to rally back above fifty thousand as well so again you know we're starting to see this kind of you know this this kind of push back higher in stock prices and it looks like repositioning now after we've had uh, you know a lot of portfolio rebalancing over the last few days it's been a little bit uh, tumultuous a little bit uh, tormenting, but it looks like we're now getting past that. But again, may not be out of the woods just yet. So we'll see what happens over the next few days. Um, but talking about things that can go wrong, you know, uh, there is an interesting story. The CEO of Zappos passed away just recently. And, you know, you know, we talk a lot about estate planning and, you know, planning for, you know the future nobody really wants to do that honestly nobody wants to think about end of life and we talk about the you know the necessity for you know permanent insurance versus term life insurance we talk about the necessities for you know doing actual planning having a state having a will you know there's there's just some things that you want to do but in order to do that it it requires having to deal with the issue of mortality which people just don't want to do. Nobody wants to think about that. You know, look, my wife's a good example of this. I had to drag her down to the estate planner's office to do our estate and family trust because she just doesn't want to deal with the issue that I might not be around someday. Um, You know, it's just, that's just her, right? She just hates that stuff. Whenever we talk about it, she tries to change the subject and, you know, talk about something on TikTok, right? So, you know, just doesn't want to deal with it. But the consequences can be very bad, you know if you don't do these things and something unexpected happens right and uh this is what happened with the ceo of zappos dan
3: well these are things that we see we have discussions with you know daily if not you know weekly if not daily and because this is so important you know i talked to a lot of people and we're discussing you know what's going on with their finances their planning their investments and we get down into it and say hey what about your estate plan and i can't tell you how many times no matter the age or the amount of wealth Many people just say, oh, man, yeah, I'm going to get to that. Or we started the process. We just can't get we can't finish it. And this is a problem. So this is uh, Tony Shea, the founder of Zappos, CEO. um, You know, he'd stepped out of the picture. His story is a little bit different. He had a pretty risky lifestyle, you know, uh, kind of a rock and roll party lifestyle, (laughs) so to speak. But um, had no plan, died at 46, Um, supposed net worth of 500 million dollars and he was using so everybody knows about holographic wills mm. you know you can write write it out um, he was using sticky notes mm. all over his wall now clearly his mindset was not there so he's a little bit different you know right. th- than what you know the average joe's dealing with here sure. however this this is just another t- time where you know we see the spotlight shine on something like this where this is so crucial so important you know we're getting into the the end of the year everybody's going to start thinking about over the next couple of weeks probably new year's resolutions and one thing I would implore everybody to do, go get your estate plan done. Um, you know, lots of moving parts right now. Obviously, we talked a lot about the tax bill this year or the lack thereof at the moment. Um, but something will come to fruition at some point. Uh, but we can't just wait. You know, I know a lot of people wait and say, well, I'm going to wait and see what the bill says. I'm going to wait and do this. Well, we, we have a habit of waiting. Right. And, you know, these are things that are just out of our control. So, look, I understand nobody wants to talk about their mortality Um, my wife's the same way, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of same deal, dragging her in. Hey, let's go. (laughs) We've got to get this done or we need to update this. And I think it's really important. It's also important to have a really good understanding. The bigger thing that I see, Lance, and it's, it's pretty interesting is that a lot of people say, well, I just don't want to pay the money. It's just too much. There's a lot of ways to do this that are pretty easy. I mean, you can go to LegalZoom.com. Um, I personally like to work with a professional that you can sit across the table from who can give you some guidance, kind of hold your hand through the process, because what happens is many times you get going in the process, and then you say, well, I can't make these decisions. So you really need somebody who can help you and kind of say, hey, let's let's point you in the right direction here. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? And this is one of the things, though, that, uh, that Lance said that, that nobody wants to do.
1: Right. And, look, and, 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 you know, dealing with a, you know, a, a professional is, is important, but, you know, you also have to be aware of some of the you know, even with professionals in a lot of cases, and, and particularly when you use something like a legal zoom mm-hmm. or that, these are really boilerplate templates. Correct. And, you know, and a good example, and I always use this example in most estate plans that you see, uh, the boilerplate is that when you pass away, the assets pass to your kids. And at the age of 35, they get 30% of the assets at the age of 45. They get another 30% of the assets, the age of, you know, whatever. And so at these, at these kind of age break marks, they get access to these assets. And in a lot of cases, you will see it at 25 and 35. Now at 25 and 35 years old, you know, if you gave me a bunch of money, it wouldn't last for very long. And because I'd go have the rock and roll party lifestyle, like the CEO of Zappos, um, But the problem is, is that today in particular, you know, a lot of people don't have good financial savvy. So if you give, you know, young people a lot of money and we talk about this often is that family wealth rarely survives the first generation. And because you give them all this money, then they go out and all their friends show up out of the woodwork and they've got all these great business ideas that they want you to invest in with them. And, you know, and money disappears very quickly. Um, you know, so for instance, you know, the way we set up our family trust and I'll give you this, a real life example, uh, you know, so, and you can, you can be as creative as you want, but for my kids, they have to have a college degree. They have to work full time. They've got to pass a random drug test. That's, and, and, and if they do that, they get access to the 4% withdrawal rate that comes out of the, of the family assets. They never get to touch the principal of the assets, only what it generates and they can take out 4% a year. So. And that gets divided among each of the kids. And so the point is, is that the family trust will help enhance their lifestyle, but it's not going to feed them, right? It'll give them a little extra spending money. But that that corpus of that capital will pass on from their kids to their kids to their kids yep. and generations down and continue to grow over time. And so it's important to have a couple of things under your belt. There's one, having a good system of a, of a trust manager in place. And this is where – You know, I might have Danny be my initial trustee, but he's eventually going to die. So I've got to have a backup trustee that I trust. And then probably at some point is going to have to pass to a trust institution, you know, like a northern trust or something like that, that can manage what the estate says. And this is why it's very important when you're doing your estate planning that you're very specific about what the money can be invested in, what it can be used for, how can it be withdrawn, when can it be withdrawn. You've really got to work through these things because eventually at some point in five or six generations, there's going to be somebody that never knew you existed managing your family assets and they need very strict instructions about how to manage that. And That's why working with a really good, well-versed professional that understands this can help you avoid a lot of those pitfalls that wind up evaporating family wealth in one or two generations.
3: Yeah, that's exactly right. So people are afraid to spend the money and the cost of this. But at the end of the day, no matter your wealth, you're going to spend or your family is going to spend a lot more just trying to decipher it. So now, you know, going back to Tony Shea, mm-hmm. his estate's tied up in court, will yep. likely be so for years. They're going after all of his business dealings, anything, and now his, his circumstances are much more complicated than most. But I can tell you, just with the... Uh, You know, a simple will, a lot can be solved. Now, it doesn't make everything perfect, but, you know, going through, like, Lance, you're discussing something that's much more complicated than what most people. I mean, just your basics. You need a a will. Medical directives. Medical directives and power of attorneys. I mean, how many people do you know that have become incapacitated or something goes wrong and people can't pay the bills because nobody has access to the funds? Yep. And that's the problem.
1: Well, no, and look, and and what's more expensive? $7,500, I'm just throwing out a number. $7,500 to do a basic estate, estate plan or, you know, 70% income tax on your estate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's 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 the other thing that people don't think about. When, you know, if your estate goes into probate, your legal costs and all that get ramped up, plus your estate taxes if you've got to wind up paying those because you didn't shelter them correctly. You know, the cost of, of trying to save 5,000, 10,000 bucks on an, and look, it sounds like a lot of money. I'm just throwing out a number. It depends on the complexity of your estate, how much time you have to spend with the attorney. But seriously, I mean, you know, the cost that you spend building the right foundation for the house is the most important thing. Right. And this is, you know, you can, you can build a beautiful house, but if you have a crappy foundation, it's not going to last for very long. And that estate plan is that basic foundation going forward. And if you if you skimp on that, it can wind up costing you a whole lot more money. Not you personally. You may not care. It's like, I don't care. You know, when I die, whatever happens, happens. Yeah. But your kids may care. So bill them for the estate plan. <laughs> so, well, that, that's exactly right. Rich
3: just brought up a really good point on YouTube. So, hey, if you're you're listening, you're in the car, you want to go back and listen, go to YouTube, Real Investment Show. But he brought up, what if you die with a digital wallet and nobody else has a password? I mean, that's the other aspect of the, you right. think about the estate plan. You need to actually write down all your passwords just to your bank, to all these different things. So somebody knows where to go and what to do. Yep. That's yeah. That's right. That's a whole nother uh, dilemma.
1: No. So, you know, about when I created our, our family plan a few years back, I wrote a love letter to my wife. And in that love letter, it it tells her everything she needs to know. She tells her who to call. Here's the numbers. Here's where you find the passwords for everything. You know, so, and that's stored in multiple places that she has easy access to and she knows where to get it. Um, but that letter tells her where everything is. And it's all organized, very easy for her to find. Everything's put into digital folders, etc. Yep. But, you know, she's got access to all that when she needs it. She doesn't want to know anything about it right now, right? Because, <laughs> again, it goes back to that mortality issue. But she knows where it's at when it happens. Yeah. And then she knows the first person to call when that happens too, she knows the attorney she knows the financial advisors she knows everything
3: well and I think that's the really important part is having that aspect done I mean the most successful transitions are people who have done those things I've even seen people go as far as writing obituaries mm-hmm. you know writing the songs they want or hey I want a party and here's what I want done <laughs> right? I've told my wife that too I want
1: I want a, a full viking burial right you know <laughs> 21 virgins putting me (laughs) on a boat, sending me out into the water, lighting me on fire, whole nine yards. We're we're dealing with the city restrictions on lighting fires on lakes. But, you know, if we get past that, I got my burial worked out. I can't wait. (laughs) All right, quick break. We'll come back talking about uh, variable planning in terms of when we start talking about expectations going into next year and financial planning, variable rates of return, what to plan for next. talk about that with Danny Ratliff. Don't go away.
0: news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com don't let
2: 2022 be a repeat of the past year join danny ratliff and richard rosso for their essential smart money tips for the new year candid coffee event on saturday january 15th you'll learn the landmines to avoid tax advantages we see and money tips you need to know in the new year Register now for our next Candid Coffee at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com.
0: The Real Investment Show.
1: The percent of Americans saying the following are essential holiday traditions. This is a uh, infographic from Statista this morning. 49% say Christmas music is a holiday essential. 46% say Christmas movies, now this is a big thing in my house this time of year. My wife and my daughters they watch, you know, White Christmas and, you know, Miracle and, and the whole thing, right? I mean, all of them, they go through the whole litany of them, right, during the Christmas holidays. For me, it's Die Hard, right? So this and this has been a, this is a big debate now, actually, in, in, in social media about whether or not even Bruce Willis came out on TikTok a couple of days ago saying that Die Hard is not a Christmas movie; it is a Bruce Willis movie. And that guy, of course, he did that just to spark a lot of conversation and debate. And, of course, now people have challenged him to debates on whether or not it is a Christmas movie. And, of course, the premise is to lay out the 12 premises of Christmas that are inside of Die Hard, right? He wears Christmas clothes and it's during Christmas and et cetera, so forth, so on. So, but anyway, this time of year, it's always an annual rerun of Die Hard. I'm by myself usually watching this, but nonetheless. Uh, 46% say presents. I'm surprised about that one. Right? Christmas tradition, only 46% say presents are a Christmas tradition. That's interesting. I, I'm just, I thought that would have been higher. Uh, 40% say Christmas lights and decorations. They obviously don't know my wife. 35% say front yard decorations. That goes with the other one, that they don't know my wife. Um, and hanging stockings, only 27% uh, hang stockings. Really? Yeah. Well, most houses don't have fireplaces,
3: I guess. 27%. Now, that's one that's actually pretty shocking. Yeah. Because, like, the kids, we were out of town this last week, and um, we were traveling, and we, were, we actually had a restaurant, and there were a bunch of stockings hung up probably for the, the waiters and waitresses. Mm-hmm. And my little one, Joseph, who's five, was like, hey, Dad, why is that not on the fireplace? Right. And, and why is there stuff in there? Santa hasn't been here yet. <laughs> but I don't know if it's like regulars <laughs> were putting stuff in the stockings or what, but, you know, that's kind of
1: interesting. It is. It is very interesting. So, anyway, just a quick note. So, uh, as we head into the rest of this year it's time to start thinking about next year already um you know it is right around the corner and this uh, and this really comes into a lot of issues where we're now starting to think about return uh, structures for next year right so we had an outstanding so let's say your financial plan requires you to make a six percent annual rate of return whatever it is um this year you know you've banked in you know twice that rate of return in a lot of cases and You know, so what do you do now planning-wise going to next year, right? It's, you you know, it's it's, the interesting thing about returns is you've got a couple of choices with how to deal with them. One thing is, is to take out 6% of that annual rate of return, stick it in the cash and say, okay, I have booked up one year of my annual return rate that I needed for retirement. Put that on, put that to the side. We don't do that. Everybody just kind of rolls it over. We start from zero again in, you know, 2022, and we hope we make 6% again. Yeah, right. And and we don't really think about the compounded returns that we've picked up over the last decade and how far ahead or behind of our target goals we are. And this is a function of human psychology called greed, where we continue to want to keep growing the assets regardless of that safety valve that we need in order to reach our financial goals. But obviously markets don't return that every year. And we've had several straight years of very strong returns because of a massive amount of Fed liquidity. But that's beginning to potentially reverse as we head to 2022, um, which potentially brings up very different um, thoughts about returns, uh, the, inf- the impact of inflation on those returns, and the impact of what you know that may do to financial
3: planning. Danny, what do you think? Yeah, I think this is a big thing that people often overlook, and a big part of this is essentially we're looking at a handful of things. One, typically in a lot of plans, we're seeing. You know, pretty boisterous returns. And while year over year, that can certainly be met longer term, especially as markets get more expensive, there's more things that occur. We need to be pretty nimble with these things. And not to mention, we're planning for a very long period of time. So to say you're going to make 10% every year because that's what the market S&P 500 has done over the last 80 years, I don't think that's that's a little disingenuous in, in how to actually plan. And we should probably look at playing devil's advocate and how do you actually stress the funds And and this is a big part of it, right? So we look and you look at, uh, you know, these great returns. They give us a false sense of security because then we think, oh, well, we don't need to save as much. We don't need to do the things that we've historically done yet because we've had a great year, we're going to put these things aside. And what we do know is that a lot of times after very good years, we do get some that are more kind of in the doldrums or maybe even bad years um, also and vice versa for that matter as well. But in an environment that we see right now, we don't want, we want to be very cautious here. And we want to also, also realize how money works. You know, we see a lot of times when we look at returns on a fund fact sheet or something of that nature, we're looking at arithmetic returns versus geometric, how your funds actually work. And this is a big thing because, you know, we can discount, you know, and in fact, going back, if you look back several years ago, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of uh, mutual funds or money managers made it very difficult to find returns simply because they didn't want you to see what the impact of 2008 was. You got past about 2018, they're all over the place. You can see them again because everybody's returns looked really, really good. So, you know, it's that time of year again. We're looking at capital market assumptions. And most of the time, you know, A, they don't change or they don't take into account changing in inflation. And we don't take into account what happens if you have some bad years. And so I think it's really important as we're getting into the new year to understand exactly how your plan was done. What's the data behind the scenes? What are the returns? What does inflation look like? Do you use a variable sequence of returns? Because that's one thing that we see a lot of times where it's just a flat, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten. I mean, I've seen some pretty lofty expectations here. And, you know, your money manager may say, Hey, we've had a great year. We're up, you know, 16% or 20%. Well, that's fantastic. But what were you the year before? The year before that. Mm-hmm. What's that actual? return look like? And we need to be more reasonable when we create these these types of uh, planning tools, right? And softwares, because most people just don't look at you know, like you mentioned Lance, mm-hmm. what happens the short term? And what does the long term expectation look like? I mean, imagine somebody who's 50 right now. Mm-hmm. They say, Oh, well, you know, I, I may or may not need a plan. But you may be planning for 40 years. That's a long time. I mean, what have markets done. I mean, we've seen decades where they've really the returns have been nothing. Now, it's not every year down or flat. But you get a handful of bad years thrown in there. Yeah. That's pretty rough.
1: Well, you know, you bring up an interesting point because that's one thing that that I notice a lot with individuals is and I get emails quite often. It's like, hey, I'm fifty and I'm still working and I need to know, you know, kinda how to plan for, you know, to get to retirement. And a lot of the thought process is is how do I get to sixty two sixty five, mm-hmm. right? I don't really need. You know, I'm I'm 55. I don't need a plan for the next 10 years. Already, I got that worked out, right? I, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to work for 10 more years. Then I'm going to retire, and I'm good. Well, that's true, right? You know, you. It, and but the problem is, is that we only focus on that date of retirement, and then we forget about all the years after that. And you know, we're living longer and longer and longer. So you may retire at 65 and still live another 30 years. And you know, that has a tremendous amount of impact potentially on as you know, from market cycles and what happens, you know, we're in a, a roaring kind of bull market cycle for the last 12 years. But with every bull market cycle, there's an eventual bear market cycle. And that, you know, monetary policy doesn't change that rate policies don't change that markets are going to cycle for a whole variety of reasons, be it credit issues, debt, whatever it is, you're going to have a down cycle uh, in the markets, and you're gonna have rates of return that are substantially lower. Than where they were previously. So again, you've got to kind of factor these ideas into a much longer time frame than just the next ten years, just the next fifteen years, because again, we all focus on that retirement. Man, if I can just, I just want to get to retirement. And every article you read on, you know, Market Watch or CNBC, or whatever, is like how to save to, you know, have a million dollars when you retire. Ladies and gentlemen, million dollars ain't going to do it when you retire. A million dollars worked when in 1980 million dollars ain't a million dollars anymore. Right. <laughs> you know, so getting to the magic million dollar mark, that's that's a start, you know, in your financial planning process for retirement, but that's you're going to need a lot more than that. Well, that's to just to like the 4% lifestyle. rule, is isn't the 4% rule exactly. anymore. I mean, things, things have change. changed. Yeah.
3: But, you know, another thing that we hear quite a bit is that we'll have somebody call and say, "Hey, um I want to start thinking about retirement, but I don't want to do a plan. I don't need a plan." Because I want to, I need a plan once I retire to figure out you know, what to do then. The problem is, is that usually what happens is we have no flexibility. We've been taught for years to put all these funds in pre-tax. You're going to have so much more. You're going to be better off. You're going to retire in such a lower tax bracket. And we find that's not always the case, even in the current tax environment that we're in. So I think this is something that needs to be uh, thought about way well in advance. I mean, look, we know Personal Finance 101 has been thrown out the window here, unfortunately. So we need to bring that back, number one. But number two... We need to start planning much, much earlier. You know, looking at the things that, that people don't think about, maxing out the HSAs and don't spend that money. You know, finding ways to put funds into a Roth or the Roth 401k, um, you know, overfunding a life ins- a permanent life insurance policy to have funds grow, to give you tax-free distributions. There, there's lots of different ways that you can do these things. And what happens is you get a lot more flexibility when you get to retirement. You have multiple sources that you can pull income from that won't impact all of these things that most people don't think about. I mean, like I, I visit with a lot of people, or somebody will call and say, "Hey, um, you know, I, I have my tax bill went way up. My Medicare has gone through the roof. I'm not sure what happened." Well, their advisor sold a lot of stuff, and now they pay a Medicare premium. So that's an essentially another tax. Um, you know, Social Security is taxed. All of these things come together in different ways, and so that's why it's so important to go ahead and start planning earlier, so you do have the ability to pull from multiple sources to protect the assets. So, you know, you think about it, we work so hard to, to make sure we're managing money properly, we're, we're having it grow, but yet we don't ever really think about it. A lot of people don't think about how, what does that look like when you start distributing these, these funds? That's the key. So going into this next year, if you're gonna look at a, a resolution, you're gonna start thinking about, you know, where did I put funds aside? I think it's extremely important to start thinking about what does that actually look like down the road in retirement? I don't wanna get there and, and just say, hey, here's what I have. But you want to get there and say, here's what I have and here's what I can do and pull from all these different areas. And that wraps up our show for today. I want to wish you a very Merry
1: Christmas. This is our last show for the year live. We'll be actually running some uh, best of shows over the next week while I go on vacation with my kids for the end of the year. Um, They will torture me and then I'll return back fresh and rejuvenated uh, on the 3rd of January to start back with you every morning. In the meantime, though, have a great a great rest of your year a very merry christmas a happy new year be safe and we look forward to seeing you back here in the new year for the real investment show
0: if I had a little money, it's a, rich man's world. It's a
2: rich man's world.